0: Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. And remember, two lefts don't make a right, two rights don't make a wrong, but a left and a right makes for a hell of a knockout. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, it's sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on a Tuesday evening live from Concord, North Carolina. And in tonight's show, uh, Pipe Parts going to go back to a couple of uh, famous uh, people that smoked pipes from the past. Uh, my guest tonight is pipe maker Michael Kabeck, who most of you may know him from the Svenvar, the Svenlar line of uh, Danish-style freehand pipes made right here in the U.S. We'll talk to him. Um, mailbag, uh, music, and rant—all that coming up on tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. And remember, yeah, you must be of legal smoking age in order to listen to this fine program wherever you happen to be listening to it. So if the if you're too young for where you are, then uh, move someplace else. There you go. Alright, um, hey, tonight, after this show, I am uh, laying directly down, taking a nap for a couple of hours because I've got to be up and out of the house at 2.30am because I've been asked to uh, take uh, be the head chaperone again for my daughter's former high school marching band, and I'm off to Disney World. Um, no, I will not inundate everybody with posts on my Facebook page of uh, Disney World stuff, but yeah, we'll be down there uh, four nights, so a quick trip, just four nights. Um, did want to mention a couple of other uh, pipe-smoking things. Um, so I've, so as you know, I've been, uh, stockpiling tobacco for years and years and years. Well, I did some, uh, did some counting after that discussion on pipe cleaners and I bought another thousand pipe cleaners and I need to keep buying more because I need to have enough pipe cleaners to get me through all the pipe tobacco that I have. Um, also, also, uh, going back to, uh, favorite things, if, uh, uh, if you're lucky enough to be able to smoke inside your house, like I am, the uh, air conditioner
1: filter—excuse
0: <clears throat> me, air conditioner filter—that I prefer is uh, a brand made by Arm and Hammer. So it's got uh, baking soda in it. Does help uh, take some of the uh, take some of the odor out of the house. All right, enough with that. Let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. And hopefully I got that uh, frog out of my throat there. All right, for Pipe Parts, we're going to talk about two people, completely different sides of... uh, sides of society uh the first one is uh clement richard Attlee, the first earl of Attlee, a, uh, a an englishman from the united kingdom who uh was uh the first person to hold the office of deputy prime minister of the united kingdom serving under winston churchill during the uh, wartime government uh he went on to lead the labor party and in nineteen forty-five, became the prime minister of England. Uh, just quite a uh, quite a storied past, and uh, uh, he was uh, early on. I mean, early on in the in the early nineteen thirties was a uh, uh, was very anti Adolf Hitler, and thought that a uh, a strong presence against against Hitler was uh, was the only way to deal with him uh he was also uh, uh he was also instrumental in the creation of a national health service and just a uh, i mean just did a ton of stuff for the country of the united kingdom but that's the earl atley clement richard atley he's got all kinds of k g o m c h p c f r he's got more titles than anybody knows what what to do with i think he's run out of all the consonants Anyway, uh, born uh, January of 1883, died October of 67, uh, just before me, uh, just before I was born. The other side of it, <clears throat> frog's still there, sorry. Uh, a guy named Douglas C. Kenny, born in December of 46, and uh, died August of 1980. He was an American writer and actor who co founded the magazine National Lampoon in 1970. Uh, Kennedy was the, uh, uh, was the editor and wrote much of its early, uh, early material. He was at, uh, Harvard University when, uh, he started it and then started writing the magazine and out of the magazine grew, uh, you know, Caddyshack and, uh, several, several other, uh, things, Animal House, of course, and then, uh. Yeah, went on to spawn the Vacation series. Uh, you can catch him in a brief cameo in, uh, Caddyshack and in Animal House. Uh, he, um, died, uh, after, a, an incident in, uh, in, <laughs> during the Caddyshack press conference. Um, anyway, uh, kind of a, uh, kind of a sad death, but, uh, he had notes and you know when they found in when they went into his hotel room there were notes for projects he'd been planning on jokes and an outline for a new movie called we also found uh and of course uh, you know starring Chevy Chase but uh Douglas Kenny left a uh, legacy and uh, died a little too soon but both guys were uh regular pipe smokers so uh, there you go, a couple of pipe smokers for you. And uh, if you got any more, uh, got any suggestions, please point them to me. Uh, Douglas Kenny came to us courtesy of Neil. So thank you for sending that in. Appreciate that. And uh, Clement Attlee came in courtesy of my friend uh, Dan Locklear. So there you go. All right, uh, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com or post uh, suggestions or ideas on the Pipes Magazine radio show page right there under, uh, on uh, PipesMagazine.com. Uh, or while you're there, you can also, or if you're on Facebook, you can also uh, follow the Pipes Magazine radio show while you're on Facebook and leave comments and suggestions there. So plenty of ways to get a hold of us. All right, in just a minute, Michael Kabick will be on the
2: phone with me. This is Internet Radio.
0: welcome back to the pipes magazine radio show and uh boy i guess uh, thanks to uh, rob cooper we get to talk to uh one of the guys that was i mean mike you you started making pipes in the 70s and now you're uh fully retired but please welcome to the pipes magazine radio show michael Kabick. mike welcome to the yeah. show Oh, thanks
4: for having me. Yeah, I, I, I guess it was uh, 72 when yeah. I really got started. Uh, <laughs> it was really um, amazing how it, it worked out for me. You know, um, I was actually doing factory work. Um, my my to-be wife and I were living on uh, a fourth floor walk up in downtown Baltimore. And uh, she was working at one of the big department stores. And um, uh, in the evening, I would sculpt. I was doing some sculpture work in clay and things like that and sold a couple pieces. And my family knew about it. My cousin, uh, her husband, uh, Jay Rostock, was um, opening up, had opened up, uh, you know, a, a pipe manufacturing operation, Chebex. Wow. And he'd, he'd, uh, he and Chuck Holliday had had a, a, a falling out. <laughs> and uh, the, his Chuck's apprentice, they thought would be staying on, but he gave his notice, and he was leaving too. And uh, he knew that I was a sculptor, a sculptor, so he figured I'll give Mike a call and ask him if he wants to, you know, interested in the job. And I said sure. And I was supposed to be hit the the not Chuck because Chuck was gone. I never even met Chuck. But his apprentice was supposed to train me for two months, and he trained me for two weeks and left.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> so basically, here I had five faces. This this is the people who actually worked with me in making the pipe. You know, we had a finishing sander, a stem cutter, a stainer and buffer. Um, we had a guy who just ran the machine shop, and I did all the all the cutting. You know, and the designing. And they're looking at me after two weeks training as a pipe maker to uh carve a hundred pipes a week. (laughs) You know, which was what we were making back then. Now before Amazingly enough, I did it, you know, I mean (laughs) um it involved me working on weekends and things like that late into the night, you know, to really to really get it down. But it was I just fell into it, you know, it was just uh I knew I was a sculptor, but when I was 12 years old, I knew I was going to be a sculptor. So I got, I, you know, Chip X was open for uh, a couple of years. Well, forgive me. It's been a while. I'm not real good with dates, uh, but it was a, a couple of years and uh, it was great. It was, it was a terrific environment because uh, we were, we were all family and we let everybody adored what they were doing. And, each person in each department at Shubex during that time, I have to say, were just uh, really talented people in, in their own right. You know, um, for instance, the guy that cut stems was going to school at night, college, to be an architect. Oh wow! Um, and he cut beautiful stems. Uh, you know, he, he saw his cutting of stems in the same way I saw cutting pipes. He wanted to make them different. You know, every time. he didn't want to make it to make them look the same. And cut them for each pipe. And, um, and a young lady, uh, African American woman who was um, from Baltimore City, did some of the best stain work. She was just the you know the best at her job. It was just a terrific atmosphere. And there were times where we had to go without a paycheck. <laughs> you know, we'd have a, a company meeting. Jay would call a meeting and say, "Well, you know, we can't quite make payroll this week," and you wait for a couple of days, and everybody would say, "Yeah." You know, and it's not like we were making a lot of money. We were barely barely getting by. I had a wife, a a young baby, a daughter. And uh, it, but it was, it was the best of times, you know, but distribution was a problem. You know, I wasn't privy to what was going on with the sales staff. You know, they would take on, I forget all the names, you know, jobbers, you know, things like that. Yeah. You know, guys to sell product and everything. I don't, I don't, you know, I wasn't involved in that at all. Uh, I worked with uh, what's his name, Al Harris, who was of uh, the office manager, and he did all the grading, he would grade all the pipes, pack them, and ship them. That had to be and I worked with him a lot, you know, because I I wanted to see how he was grading, and we had to have a meeting of the minds as far as grading pipes. And how he would grade them you know as far as price and um, it was just a fantastic atmosphere and I to this day I still don't understand all the reasons but I think the main reason was it was really for an American for a, a an American freehand making operation that was making pipes to distribute internationally enough you know to do that um, we were going up against a, a tide of Danish pipe makers that was just, and rightfully so, they were the center of the market, yeah. you know, but they had this, they had developed such name status, you know, like, like Rolls Royce did, you know what I mean? With certain manufacturers, obviously like Dunhill, Sheraton and Sven and uh, Savinelli. Um, that it was hard to get in that club in the American market. A lot, a lot of, In those days, uh, I I really believe, you know, it's not a matter of belief, I think it's actually really true, as with a a lot of other things uh, that are sold. There was, you know, this name, you know, they were more admired if they came from Europe (laughs) than they were from made in the United States. It was that exotic thing, whatever it was. Um, And I, none of us felt like we were given, like, as much credit as we deserved in the market, you know what i mean they weren't they weren't being taken seriously
0: It's almost uh, like uh who want who'd want a a, a Danish style freehand made by Americans when you could get a Danish style
4: freehand made by danes yeah, yeah, oh, it came from the northern Italy, you know and blah 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 and again i'm not I'm not going upstate I mean rightfully so they were making gorgeous stuff i mean uh, they inspired me. Every pipe maker has their inspiration, and whether it's Julie or, or um, Previn Holm. You know, we were all inspired by something, yeah. um, you know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they were, you know, the Danes really created this. Look, it was it was if you look at the Dane furniture of that period, it, it had that same sort of vibe, you know, yeah. the same sort of lines, the same sort of geometry no. in some ways, in certain ways. H-
0: had you and, smoked a pipe before going to work there?
4: Um, well, see, I had I had, uh, I had worked with Jay when he when he had first opened Jay Smoke Shop. Um, I was kind of you know bumping around doing you know different jobs and stuff, uh, part time. And uh, he asked me if you know, I ended up helping him build Jay Smoke Shop. You know, build you know shelving or whatever. You know a while and then I worked for him for a while as a salesman, his first sale. And uh I guess I was a kid, you know. But I remember the first day I sold my big first big pipe. I sold a hundred dollar share to a a uh, it was a colonel or something in the army came in. <laughs> and that was my first sale. So that was a big deal. But yeah, you know, so um you know I loved I loved it obviously uh, and I felt like I wanted to give it a shot on my own. I, I scrounged up enough money and, and bought en- enough of the equipment and everything to start up my own thing. And uh, as you know, I made pipes under these different names, like Grand Hill, which was—I I don't, I don't know—you know, I don't know how many pipes those actually survive because I couldn't <laughs> have made more than a couple dozen. It was for, uh, I think, North Dakota. Um, so you know, I was I made pipes for them, and then I'd go on the road, and I there were a few, you know, different uh, pipe shops around the you know, few state area, and I had a few people that I was selling to, and I just managed to support my wife, and and we were living in a little farmhouse with a uh, uh, couple of other friends who were college students, you know, and um, Al Harris, who as I mentioned was the um, manager you know, who did the grading and everything, i have become, you know, very friendly with. I had gone to work for Mel Baker down in Virginia Beach and uh, was managing his stores. He had, uh, at that time, I don't know, maybe eight stores or something through around Virginia or six or eight or something. And he brought Mel Baker up to meet me. And he had seen the work that i have been doing, you know, kicking around and everything. And he asked me, he, he told me, he said, I'll give you... You're in control, you run the whole operation, but uh, and i you work for me, I'll finance the whole thing, and we'll get it going and I said, you got it <laughs> you <know? laughs> and it was and I was making quite frankly at the time I was making more money than i and Matt could imagine you know I mean I was rich get rich <laughs> you know, but it was enough to you know for my family to, and I have my little house uh me a little lost hilly and you know things like that, so it, it was a good life. You know, and it was down in Virginia Beach, so that was nice too. But uh, and and I got I got a group of people working with me that, um, again, uh, I either I think it's a combination of luck and me being a good a good judge of character as far as you know when somebody comes in the door to apply to be to work as a in a, you know, freehand pipe shop, you know, sanding pipes or cutting stems or something like that. You they have to have a certain amount of dexterity and vision and things like that, you know, so you, you test them out. And for some reason I I, I don't think I had very many misses. Most of the people I ended up coming ended up being pretty darn good at what they, what they did, they were doing, you know? And uh, again, we create, I created a, the thing that I love the most about it, aside from the work, was being able to give artistically inclined people who wanted to have at least some outlet of expressing themselves the opportunity to do that and support themselves at the same time. That was the greatest joy aside from just making the pipes. And again, because we cre- I created a family atmosphere and we worked beautifully together. I never had to argue with anybody and they all worked hard. They were devoted to what they did. It was just terrific. Mm -hmm. And uh, we ended up getting a distributor in uh, uh, High Rosenstein um, of Associated Imports. Uh, I I guess, as you know, he he distributed uh, GBD in the United United States and and other brands, which elude me right now. And... uh, he was a terrific guy. He was kind of my mentor and he really had my back, you know, for a long time, as long as he could. Um, I went up a couple times to see him in uh, Long Island and spend time with him. he was just a prince, you know, and, um, and it was terrific, you know, for, I forget how many years. And, uh, Mel had met, um, a father and son who had had a machine-making, a uh, a phrased pipe operation in New New York. And Mel wanted to expand. He wanted to get into the machine-made phrased pipe market. Now, I knew how to use a phrasing machine. I goofed around with one. Uh, We had one at ChipX, but we never really used it. And I goofed around with it, so I knew the basic thing going on. And the gentleman in New York, Mel was spending a lot of money for buying machinery from his old plant that had closed up. He went out of business, so he was looking to sell all the machinery from his pipe factory, and Mel bought it all. Not only that, he bought their services, the father and the son, to come down, he was paying them a lot of money. to set up this operation more than I thought he was being had. Okay? Because, you know, it's one thing, the handmade market is one thing, but getting into that, now you're talking serious competition, you know? Yeah. Um, You know, downhill, GBD, you know, on and on and on. I was like, come on, you're not going to break into that, you know? And and I just thought, I saw Doom (laughs) (laughs) because he was spending a lot of money, you know? and i had taken on an apprentice uh glenn Hedelson. glenn was uh in the navy had been in the navy and he was he was getting did his time <laughs> he was getting out and they had a like a a uh, a work release program where he could even though he he had a few weeks to go um he would i you know he came and applied for the job i you know, he came to work for me. And then after, I forget, three or four weeks or however long it was, he was still, you know, he got discharged. And and uh, we were just, we we just worked beautifully together. And he brought, and, and by this time I had made, I you know, God only knows how many pipes I made, you know, by then. I, I wasn't getting burnt out, but it was great to have a fresh sort of look at it, you know fresh sort of you know to, to the to the line and he had that you know he he had some ideas that i had never seen i hadn't seen expressed before with the, the way he did shanks now they didn't always you know some of them weren't accepted i don't think as well as we had thought they would you know we tried to come up with different ways of of um of design that set us apart somehow you know uh, and he did. He, he added that to it. Like I said, not everything worked, but a lot of it did. And um, uh, so Glenn and I decided that we would go out on our own. We'd open up our own joint, you know, <laughs> our own studio. And um, Mel was agreeable, and we decided that what we would do was we would set up our own studio, and we would make pipes for him. He would send us the material. In other words, he'd supply the material, and we would charge him for the labor, basically. Now, the Svendlar name, as you probably know, was when I bought the equipment from ChipX. They had a box full of stamps that had been made for, for private labeling. One was the Owl Shop, I think. Now, that just came to mind. I, I can't believe I retrieved that. <laughs> but I think yeah. one was stamp was for the Owl Shop and Grand Hill. And um uh geez, I'm trouble remembering some of the other ones. But Svenlar was it, you know? And, <laughs> and I remember when I first went to work for Mel's having this conversation and I said, you know, I've got this Senlar stamp and I and I told him that I really felt like I wanted my name to go on all the pipes. And I wanted to call them, let's call them Sven Lars, I said, because I want to give them, I want to break into that thing, you know? Um, and for a while, my name wasn't even it was just Sven Lars. Because, he, hey, you know, and I may not be Danish, but I was making Danish style freehand pipes, you know? And. Um, <laughs> It's funny, one of my favorite authors is somebody called uh, James Tiptree, who was a science fiction author, uh, and for years, James Trip- Tiptree was the hottest thing in science fiction, until James Tiptree unveiled the fact that it was not James Tiptree, it was a woman named Alice Sheldon, <laughs> who, who was actually one of the, had worked for MI5, uh, during World War II
2: oh, no.
4: with her and her husband and they came over to this country and worked for the C. they were basically some of the founding fathers of the CIA <laughs> so and then it was like a big deal because you know the women in science fiction writing weren't being accepted very easily you know as in a lot of the fine arts uh, it was a man's world primarily so you know I thought heck you know this is how I got to break into that. You know, (laughs) (laughs) use use the name Sven Lark, right? And then pull up in the curtain, you know, and ta-da! You know?
0: (laughs) You've been (laughs) buying Danish.
4: You know, I know that sounds kind of, you know, but it was, look, I I thought it was a legitimate way of, of, of getting, and it's not like we weren't, you know, we weren't selling pipes, we were selling pipes, but, I still felt like we didn't kind of get the same credit, and when I say we, I mean all the people that worked for me, because they were, you know, it wasn't just me; it was them too, that we didn't get the kind of respect that we deserved at the time by a lot of lot of pipe smokers. And we just, I just wanted them to take a second look, and if they could forget about the name, the the, the country of origin for a moment, and just look at the product, and it worked. I mean, quite simply, it did work. And, uh, and that's when I started putting my name back on the pipe. And everybody, everybody was cool with that. And I think a lot of, a lot of people at that time were more like uh, a sense of pride, you know, that we had. I mean, I felt that when we were going full tilt at, at Tobac, I mean, it was me and Previn, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, as far as production. And scale and sales, you know and um, and it was great, you know it was terrific uh, like I said, not just for me but for everybody that m- my whole family you know of people in the in the studio
0: that's a uh, perfect place for us to take a break when we come back we'll talk about talk about free hands and the artist' point of view and uh, see what you're up to now so stay with us we'll be back in just a minute.
1: The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country. it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco. Blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com.
0: We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with uh, not only Svenlar, but also uh, Michael Kabick. Uh, so, so, what is... I mean, the, the approach to making a Danish-style freehand, I'm assuming you had to have all... Plateau briar,
4: or at right. least good sized pieces. We were using Greek, uh, Grecian plateau briar, beautiful stuff. And, um, later on, late in when the industry started to fade, uh, it got hard to get good plateau. So we had to, uh, we, we had to do a mix of plateau and plush, what do they call them, plushette. Um, I mean, basically, what it is when you when you say a piece of plateau, you're talking about the center cut. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Not the ends. So the ends of that of that burl are are plachette. So you end up with a slope. That's why if you see a if you see a, a, a freehand pipe where the top of the bowl is slanted, that's because it's closer to the end. Okay. See what I mean? It's yeah. got a, it's more of a curve. <laughs> a downward slope, and so the the plateau were were mostly from the from the center, and you tended to get that, you know, straight like uh, you know, flat top. Well, not that dramatic, actually, you know. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, a flatter flatter top as far as the rough top goes.
0: And I don't. So I, that was, I think you're the first really true freehand uh, Danish freehand style pipe maker we've had on the show. Uh, when you, so you get that you get that block and then right you well, start the, the following only, the grain the only, or
4: well the only other the, okay the plachette is good for if if you want to have some birds eye on the left side of the bowl and straight grain on the right then that's what you get because of that slope because you'll end up um sometimes with that you know what i'm saying yeah. a birds eye type pattern somewhere around this one side and then straight grain on the other, on a really extreme one. You know, so you can... But you can't get... It's harder with Pluchette to get really solid straight grain all the way around. That's why with... When we graded, and I believe most of the other people at that time graded pretty much the same way we did, what we looked for was the straightness of the grain, the uniformity, and usually on... Nine out of ten pieces of nice straight grain, you won't get really good grain. You'll have bald spots on the front. Okay? Right. If you can get it filling in that front, you got a rare piece of straight grain. You know? Um so you look you look for the for you know for that quality and that you've got in the plateau. So it tended to when you've got that straight grain all the way around like that that was usually a center cut and that's an ex that's a more expensive cut of steak okay <laughs> <laughs> from the burl right so um so grading you know what you what you had to look for um the it, the interesting compa- i think one of the valid comparisons that you hear is between you now my one of my best friends is a jeweler and um there are, there are similarities to diamond cutting, although I think, you know, the skill sets are really different. But the basic thing is still there. And that is, you have to be able to identify things that are occurring on the, on the rough exterior, the, the bark exterior part of the burl. Um, to look for signs that there's something going on inside that you can't see. So, you look for certain things and you look for the way the grain looks because, and it's been a long time since, yeah. since I've done this, but there are things that you can, there are clues that you can see that can give you an idea of what might be going on in the inside and where to cut it and what, where the danger areas might be. There are areas of what I call no growth, where basically uh, it, in, a, in a tiny area just dead stops and the burl grows up around a void. You know what I mean, and you get a pit. You know, um, and sometimes it'll have like even the bark is grown up on the inside of it. You know, like it was burnt. at least sometimes was exposed, so it you know it had some bark on it. And then there's sand pits and stones that basically can grow around that, um, and then that's a problem, obviously. Um, so there, there are different ways of, and sometimes what you can get. I mean, the things that really break your heart is when you get a just a killer piece of wood, and fortunately, <laughs> didn't happen that often for me. <laughs> at least now, I'm sure in my the early days, I'm probably I made a, I, I destroyed a lot of pipes. I'm sure, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, there was there was uh, you couldn't always you know predict what was going to happen. You could get a beautiful piece of wood, cut into it. And next thing you know, you got a a dead spot, of the size of a dime, you know, like <laughs> it's just ends just on the 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 outside of the inner wall of the bowl. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> in other words, somebody has to. If somebody lights it up, it's going to burn out within, you know, maybe a, a one bowl. It'll burn out back <laughs> then. So yeah, you, you, there's a real heartbreaking things that happen when you're when you cut three end pipes because you, every once in a while you lose a real beauty. Uh, because you couldn't predict what was going to happen on that side, so yeah that that's one of the that's one of the things of the trade that's uh, that you have to be good at. Otherwise, you're going to waste a lot of time.
0: On it. <laughs> uh, and I would I would assume that if there was a uh, if there was a flaw or an issue occurring, you'd try to work around it with the shape and save the block the best you could.
4: Yes, if you can. Yeah. Now, sometimes you just, you're not going to work it. It's going to be there. You know, it depends on where it is and all that. But that's why we ended up, you ended up having etch pipes, you know, because <laughs> the motto of ChipX was the only fill in a Chip X is fine tobacco. That was their motto. Okay. We didn't fill pipes and I didn't fill pipes. Okay. So um, we came up with etching over these flaws, and that was our A-grade pipe, the $35 starting point. Um, If they were etched, they were were A-grade.
0: Now that's $35 for a completely handmade, hand-cut stem and everything.
4: Exactly, exactly, yeah.
0: Uh, What was the top price
4: for the most expensive? Well, I know there's there's a pipe that I've seen on the internet it's still listed out there it's an m grade and i remember making that pipe it's got a real short shank on it but it was the most exquisite little piece of wood i i wanted to make love to it it was so (laughs) beautiful, you know but it wasn't a big piece of wood i didn't have a lot to work with but the grain was stunning and i came up with a well you can see it online um I came up with a, a stain for it that just was, it was p- perfect. It was something that, uh, you know, just one of those that you just don't forget, you know. Um, uh, so, yeah, the M grade, I think, is the highest. Now, I did special order stuff. As a matter of fact, I had forgotten about this. I made a two-pipe set for it. was. It, now, this was back in, 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 with Tobac, with Fenlar down in Virginia Beach. I was commissioned to make a two pipe set for yeah. it was either the owner of the Denver Broncos or the manager of the Denver Broncos. I can't remember which, <laughs> and that was a real gorgeous two pipe set. And you know, I don't even have a picture of these things, which really bummed me out. But um, <laughs> even the president, the presidential piece, there's yeah. I don't have a picture, you know, um, and Mel. <laughs> I got the letter from the president, the thank you letter, <laughs>
2: <laughs> it runs.
4: which you know, hey, look, you know, it, you know. but uh, um, yeah, that that was that was an interesting thing. See, I, I had made a pipe for the governor of Maryland, um, Governor Mandel, and he commissioned me to make a pipe with the state of Maryland carved on the front, and I did that, and it was in. I know I never saw it, but I heard. It was in on display at the state capitol for a while, and um, so I, I, I my father had opened a, an ice cream parlor in Annapolis, and he was just starting and trying to keep it going and everything. And um, he knew the governor because he was in the Democratic Club for years, and the governor approached him and said, and "He said, call up your son and have him." Meet me, at, meet me at the ice cream parlor <laughs> so I get a phone call from my father it says the governor wants to meet you I'm like what <laughs> so I go down and I you was know, a security all over the place and, and I'm sitting down at this little ice cream parlor some of those little ice cream parlor tables <laughs> with the governor and he says uh, I'm going to see Gerald Ford and I forget how much time I had and he said I'd like you to make a pipe I want to present him with one of those two pipe sets. I want you to make it for me to get the president. I was, I was, you know, black, you know. Sure. <laughs> and, um, and I, so I made, I ended up making a pipe, another pipe for him, I made two, you know, and, uh, and that, and, and that was just, uh, that was a huge kick. And then, then, then I, then he said to Gerald Ford, sent the thank you letter back and he sent it to Mel. So, um, <laughs> Which was fine, because Mel, like I said, he was a sweetheart. He was a really good guy. Um,
0: so, yeah. At your, at your peak of production, how many pipes were you guys
4: making a week? 250. So that, was... that was with Wenhall. That was with yeah. Wenhall um, We were making 200 for Mel. Wow. Uh, and that was with a crew of I think it was seven or eight people. And um, that, that would be, you know, somebody in the office. And then, and it was great when, when, when Glenn and I opened up uh, Vajra Bu- Buyer Works, excuse me. Um, oh, I didn't get to that part, did I? No. Oh, I forgot a whole, whole I forgot a, several years there. Yeah, Glenn and I moved up to Maryland and we opened up Vajra Buyer Works. We opened, we, we, me, my wife, my little daughter and, We got a farmhouse and we converted an old chicken slaughtering house into our studio. (laughs) And um, it had a slaughter pit. You know, it was like a concrete pit that they would, the blood from the chickens (laughs) would go to, right? The farmer let us have this place, right? And it was falling apart. So we put a giant covering on it, and that was our platform where we did our cutting. And we had to replace practically the entire building was full of Hornets. So we, we must've got stung up a hundred times, fixing this place up. And then we ended up um, opening up a studio in Bel Air, Maryland, and um, making pipes for them. And then Tobac went under, basically, with the whole operation. I got the Svendlar name back from Mel, And we were approached by um, uh, Wenthall to come up to New York and uh, to Long Island and have a meeting with them. We had a meeting and Glenn and I sat down uh, in this office and we said, well, how many pipes do you want? And, um, I forget the gentleman's name. It was the, the original creator of, uh, of the company, uh, the old man, I his name, um, had retired and his son was taking over I'm struggling to come up with their names now. But, um, we said, well, you know, how many pipes would you like? And he said, five hundred a week. <laughs> <laughs> and Glenn and I looked at each other like, Uh oh. You gotta be kidding, you know? <laughs> you gotta be kidding. You know. First well the the thing of it is, we yeah, we were we had mixed right we didn't even have to talk. We both knew what each other was thinking. <laughs> how in the hell are they gonna sell five hundred five hundred pipes a week? That's crazy. That's a crazy number. You couldn't possibly move that many pipes, especially with the market in decline, you know? but And we were like, so we said to them, you know, I, I, I don't know whether I pulled Glenn aside, said, you know, let's talk. And, and I said, look, <laughs> uh, we, we, if you can move 500, we'll give you 500, but let's start at 250. <laughs> And if you can move 250, we'll up it. Because I'm not going to hire more people on it, stuff, you know, for this crazy number. Because I didn't, I couldn't imagine they could have moved anything like that. And they couldn't. Um, So, yeah, we we were making pipes for them. And we came up with a presidential line, which um, Glenn did a great, most of those designs, I don't know how many of the, well, most of them are his, and I think he did a really good job. I mean, we, do, we decided on the designs we, we do together. We, in other words, they're all handmade. They're all hand-cut the same way, but they're, but they're this, basically the same shape, repeated over and over. So there's no real control over uh, – there's not a lot of control as to where you – what you do with the block. You know what I mean? You have to ignore – Things in the grain that are beautiful, in order of just to get a shape. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, you had to force it, and that's why I didn't like it. I didn't like I didn't like it being turned into into a morva. It wasn't mastered because they were hand cut. You know, no two were exactly alike. Okay, it was their hand cut? Even though they're the same shape, and um, but I just you know it it took the joy some of the joy out of it. You know. Uh, and, um, they got in touch with me and told me that they were moving to Florida and they wanted us to come with them. And that would be moving my family, the people working with us. I mean, some of the people from Tobac actually moved, relocated to Maryland to work for me. Uh, some of the old crew from down there along with Glenn, um, and they wanted us to, so Wendell wanted us to move to Florida. And um, I just, <laughs> I were like, by this time we were having second thoughts about the fellas that we were working for and what was going on. We thought that maybe something not kosher was going on here. Okay. Um, it something didn't smell right. And we turned down their offer. That meant that we were in a pick. You know what I mean? We didn't have a distrib- distributor, but we felt that concerned about what these guys were about that we decided to turn them down. Uh, I, I think uh, history speaks for itself. I don't think they were in business for a year. Uh, they folded up. And I don't want to go into the details of what happened. I don't know if it's, knowledge out there in the pipe making industry but there was a problem with the uh, somebody in the company breaking the law and some people ended up going to jail oops <laughs> yeah for a long time
0: so that's the so, uh, that's the sometimes unseemly side of, uh, of the business yeah, world and it yeah, creeped into yeah, your little uh, pipe shaping
4: life yeah yeah <laughs>
0: Mike, we'll wrap this up with the, uh, well, first of all, you're now fully retired and, uh, you, you've been, I guess looking at pipes online occasionally, but, uh, yeah. It
4: was... yeah. And I, I made pipes after we closed up, uh, Roger Bioworks, I made pipes for, for years after that, but not on the scale. No, just pretty much my own. And Glenn went on to be a science teacher, a really good one. Um, and we stayed, we have been friends for a long time. We were like brothers. You know it was a, it was the whole thing was a fabulous experience, and it was just a shame that we couldn't have it until to this day you know.
0: that's the way it is. well, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions, no right answer, no wrong answers. whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready mm, yeah, sure, and since you're uh not smoking much anymore, we'll do this in past tense for a couple of them but yep. uh, what was your favorite pipe?
4: Oh, um, other than my own, um, probably a Newt that I had was my fav- one of my favorite smoking pipes. It was a beautiful design. It was actually a black sandblast Newt. Um, just gorgeous design, you know. Real Danish looking.
0: <laughs> and what was your favorite tobacco? race. Which one?
4: um, Jeez, you know, I'm trying to forget the blend. I'm trying to remember the blend. What was... uh, Oh, gosh. I can't remember now. It's been so long. Just about anything made by Rattrace, probably. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was either Balkan Soprani or Rattrace. But I really prefer Rattrace. Are they still in business? Somewhat.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, the blends have moved. Names have changed. The names are the same. Uh, uh what is your favorite drink
4: my favorite drink vodka probably it's, it's, if we're talking alcohol it's probably vodka but for some reason I can hold vodka better than I do I'm not a big drinker though I like wine
0: that's, that's that old uh, that, that old 1960s hippie era
4: what the wine uh, liking what? the wine <laughs> yeah well, back in the hippie era, hippies never had money, so we, we drank a lot of matus. <laughs> <laughs> Uh
0: When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music?
4: Oh, gosh. I prefer eBay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like looking at antiques. Um, a lot. <laughs> and art. So I, I spend time on, on online doing that. Um, oh, but, you. yeah I like both yeah you know. but yeah i would have to say eBay,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, do you have a uh, favorite pipe smoking related memory that we didn't talk about?
4: um let me see um, my favorite memory um, well, this is gonna sound a little ugly. <laughs> Um but if if it wasn't. When Glenn and I opened up Roger works one of the things that we did was we looked for people to hire. The posts that we needed, people who really needed help. So we looked for veterans, Vietnam veteran, returning veterans. And for a while we had Vietnamese. We had some Vietnamese boat people working for us who were just. I just I, I remember the day that How, who was, was one of the guys, he was did some of the he did the polishing. They were terrific. Um, just came over to me and said thank you that they never had jobs where they enjoyed the work so much and that they could support their family Wow. and that's what I remember that's that was the greatest joy right there (laughs) and uh, that kind of camaraderie in the studio and doing supporting one another and helping you out and all that stuff well there you go yeah so, Mike
0: thank you very much for joining us it was, it was a pleasure having you
4: well it was great I enjoyed it
0: very much and we'll be back in just a minute
2: Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion it's their birthright their legacy and just like Savinelli it continues to grow and evolve it is ever changing Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. This is Internet
0: Radio. Welcome back. Uh, First, I want to thank uh, Rob Cooper for getting me hooked up with Mike and... Rob's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks as well. So there's something to look forward to for you. Uh, You know, it's, it's just, it's incredible to hear these guys that are now retired and have this history and go back. And especially when you listen to Mike talk about the pipes as a, as a way for him to express his, uh, sculpture. Um, there is, uh, if you go on to dot media.org, P I P E D I A dot O R G there is a, uh, well done article on there with a bunch of pictures of pipes that Mike probably had something to do with. So you can check those out. Um, ran over time. So, uh, we'll, uh, skip, the uh, music for tonight and oh boy we've got a message in the mailbag uh, still kind of getting caught up so here's an email I got uh, I don't know about three or four weeks ago it says uh, good afternoon Brian I'm a newbie to the hobby I'm only about four months in 56 year old guy who did smoke a pipe for a bit in the late 70s but gave it up since no one else my age was doing it (laughs) I uh, quit the cigs 20 years ago, but always thought about the pipe, so here I am. Well, welcome back and uh, welcome home. Uh, he goes on to write, so like most of us today, went right to the internet to start my education. I found TobaccoReviews.com and kept seeing Jim Inks. My tastes seemed to be similar to his likes and dislikes, so who was this guy? Google to the rescue, and lo and behold, an interview on something called the Pipes Magazine radio show. They play Ozzy, Kid Rock, Van Halen. Okay, that all hooked me on its own, and the guy doing the show wasn't bad either. LOL. Yeah, well, must have been. it must have caught me on a good day, I guess. Um, he goes on to say, I now look forward to the show each week, and it has given me so much. I live in the Chicago suburbs and know where Pheasant Run is, but never knew of a pipe show. I'm looking forward to going, and sadly for my wallet, I only have a five-minute walk to Ewan Reese from work. Anyway, my question to you is, I will be riding my motorcycle back to Chicago from Tucson, Arizona, the beginning of May. I don't need to take a direct route, but can't go far out of the way due to time limits. Any pipe-related places I should try and visit on my journey. Country Squire in Jackson, Mississippi may be a possibility, or Missouri Meerschaum could work. I'm planning on riding through St. Charles, Illinois on May 6th on my way home, or I may just have to go have to go back on Sunday. I apologize to you. I'm no wordsmith, and I heard you rant at the end of the show about this. Thank you for your time, Brian. I look forward to the show tonight and all the new things in your life, Charlie. Uh, Charlie, first of all, let me say thank you very much, and uh, welcome back. Um, let me just suggest for the pipe show, if there's any way possible that you can get back on Saturday and it's literally too big to really take it in on Sunday and Sunday kind of ends abruptly around noon, one o'clock, two o'clock by three o'clock, everybody's kind of packed up. So Saturday would be the key day, the key last day to be there and then, uh, yeah, spend as much time Saturday as you can there. The ticket's good for all weekend. Um, coming back across the country, and the reason I wanted to read this on the show is if anybody's got any suggestions that are better than the ones I know of, because I'm really not familiar with the southwest or the middle of the or the mountain, mountain areas, um, I can suggest that if you're going to Salt Lake City, the tinderbox in Murray, Utah, a suburb of Salt Lake City, has always been a... Uh, It's always been a good pipe shop. Uh, Durango, Colorado. uh, And I'm going to skip a few here, but you're going to have to Google search them. But there's a couple of stag tobacconists in Colorado. There's an Edwards in in Denver that are uh, really good pipe shops. But if anybody else has any suggestions on where Charlie should go, post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page, or you can email them to me and I'll read them here next week. Uh, But again, any suggestions would be great, and I'm sure he would appreciate it. All right, Uh, going back to last week, Casey Ghost wrote, Another good show. Like you, I have a lot of accessories and use them as I see fit. The John Fordham interview was very pleasurable. It was nice to hear you again. I was amazed at John's ability to speak for a long time and stay on topic the whole time. Uh, the insurance companies really irritate me. They are always coming up with something that costs you money. They never have a thought in their head about the end user. Amen. That's all i got to say to that. Uh, Dino wrote, I really enjoyed the, co- the two conversations with John. Recalling his adventures, travels, acquaintances, and his insights into our shared pipe world were a veritable feast of entertainment. Thanks for another fine program, Dino. And then lastly, Lothar writes, Great show. The only bad part is I'm now completely caught up on episodes. John was great both weeks, and I enjoyed hearing all about the world of pipes from someone who's been all over the world. Next time I'm in a pipe shop, I'll be sure to ask for a cockatoo feather-sized pipe. (laughs) That would be, uh, yeah, featherweight. Boy, you want to talk about a featherweight. Yeah. Um, Anyway, don't forget the uh, two pipe shows coming up on the horizon, April 8th in Raleigh, North Carolina, the tap show at the fairgrounds, and of course the Chicago show in St. Charles, Illinois, and rant time is next. Cowboy. I think I may have figured out what's wrong with you, millennial generation and younger kids. I think I may have figured out what's wrong with it. Because most of you grew up with, uh, you know, Tickle Me Elmo and all those really soft, nice, uh, happy kids' shows and kids' cartoons where nothing really kind of bad happens. And then all of a sudden you become teenagers and you get gangster rap and uh, all the uh, death and murder and uh, mayhem movies. Well, I think I figured out what's wrong with you. See, kids in 1938-39 got to see Pinocchio. Yeah, Pinocchio is out on uh, Blu-ray now, which I have a Blu-ray player finally. And we bought it, and I'm watching Pinocchio the other night. And let me tell you, first of all, Geppetto's house is filled with pipes. Geppetto smokes a pipe in bed. Geppetto owns a gun and is scared at night and shoots the gun off. Uh, One of his cuckoo clocks has a kid being spanked as the cuckoo. There's another cuckoo clock where the hunter is shooting a turkey. And that's not even outside of the first ten minutes of the movie. Then you get into Honest John trying to kidnap the kid and put him in with Stromboli who's got knives and a birdcage where the kid's locked up. Then we go off to Pleasure Island where... In Pleasure Island, the kids are eating candy, doing graffiti, breaking things, uh, drinking beer, smoking cigars, shooting pool. There's poker and gambling going on in there, and there's even can-can girls with uh, with uh, pronounced hooters. Well, this was a family. <laughs> fun movie. Well, here's what's wrong with kids nowadays. They didn't get that desensitized because they didn't get that when they were 6 or 7 or 8 like we did when we were older. Anyway, alright, that's just my opinion. But anyway, glad to see actually that Disney did not uh, sanitize all the stuff in Pinocchio and it's just its original form. So, there you go. A lot of stuff going on in there. A lot of stuff. Alright. Remember, if you would like to advertise on the Pipes Magazine radio show, you can email Kevin at PipesMagazine.com. He'll handle that. Questions, comments, post them for me. Love them. Read them. Still getting caught up on a few more things from the show, but I do appreciate them all. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Mike for joining me, and until next time... Happy
4: trails to you Until we meet again Happy trails to you bombaadeira 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 Who cares about the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny
3: weather.
1: Happy trails to you
3: till we meet again.
4: I mean, didn't you, didn't you notice on the plane when you started talking, eventually I started reading the vomit bag? Didn't that give you some sort of clue, like, hey, maybe this guy's not enjoying it?